Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 204 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I want to say thanks to some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Alexis Fendrick, Rich B, Chelsea Baker, Annie O'Connell Torgerson, Erica, Brian Casprich, Melody, Carolyn Morrisroe, Knitting Mafia, Taylor, Diana Palesic, Paula Turkelson, Elizabeth Welch, Cinda Ebner, Finn High, and Vicky Vizard. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is Bird Box Barcelona. Bird Box Barcelona was released in 2023. It is 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. After an entity of mysterious origin annihilates the world's population, causing those who observe it to take their lives... Sebastian and his daughter begin their own great adventure of survival in Barcelona. As always with our film reviews, I'm going to start with the likes and dislikes and our likes column first. It's very important. I feel like I really enjoyed the concept of Bird Box the first time around. I don't think I was like, this is the best film I've ever seen, but I really, really liked it. It was really intense. It was emotional. I thought Sandra Bullock was brilliant. I really enjoyed the ambiguity of it, like the idea that there are these unknown creatures who cause people to take their lives when they look at them. Where do they come from? We don't know. What are they? We don't know. Like with films like Cloverfield, you don't find out what these creatures are. And I respect the ambiguity. I like it. So what I really liked about this movie, about Bird Box Barcelona, was was that it kind of showed us what was happening in another part of the world. So the kind of wider impact of the story we saw how it impacted the city in its immediacy how people responded to it what was happening and I you know what I enjoyed it I liked that the acting in this movie is really strong uh, the visual effects were really good they didn't try and overdo the visual effects and the ones that they did use were effective you immediately knew what was about to happen that's all you could ask for for visual effects in a horror movie and I enjoyed the fact right that we got an exploration into what these creatures might be so it's difficult to talk about this film without giving away spoilers but at various points characters within the film have conversations about what these creatures are what they might be albeit you get the conversation from the point of view of the characters involved in the action so it's only conjecture but it is an interesting conversation you get at various points people thinking that these creatures are aliens you get people thinking that they're angels you get people thinking that it's sort of like a plague sent from god you get people thinking that it is a physical being 
that is actually obeying the laws of physics. It's really, really interesting. And as a watcher, you're kind of going, oh, do I like that theory? Do I prefer that theory to the other ones? Which one seems more likely? And I thought it was a really good way to explore what these creatures might be rather than going, this is what this creature is. Because I think the minute you start dealing with indefinites in horror films, then you, you back yourself into a corner, right? Whereas actually, if you're dealing in ambiguities, you have a lot of freedom to play around. Unfortunately... That was about it for my likes for this film. Like, first of all, can you not think of a better title than Bird Box Barcelona? It kind of weirdly sounds like a music festival. And while I don't frequent music festivals um, from my youth, I can imagine that there are lots of people at music festivals who are seeing things and having religious epiphanies. However, that's not the vibe they were going for for this film. So why did you call it Bird Box Barcelona? I mean, it, you know, it tells exactly where the film is based. But also... (sighs) I don't know, it just really, really annoyed me. And frankly, I was bored watching it. I I honestly was bored. I felt like I don't care to watch people taking their own lives over and over again in horrific ways. And like the happening, I sort of thought, how much of this film has been centred around what sort of horrific ways can we show people taking their own lives? Because I just, I'm not interested. I don't want to see it. And that's not me being, you know phobic about gore it's just like okay I get it people see these creatures and they take their own lives that that's it you know there has to be more to this film than that and while they tried to build a story around maybe the differing ways that people could react when they see these creatures I just didn't care they somehow managed to create a story that could have been really compelling but was actually really boring and I cared about none of the characters none of them I didn't care whether the characters died. There was nobody that I was rooting for. I'm going to be really frank. There was nobody that I was rooting for. I honestly felt like, I don't care. Like, you're all annoying. Go out and look at the creatures or I'm going to I'm gonna go look at the creatures so I don't have to watch this film anymore, to be perfectly frank. And I kept having to rewind it because I kept realising that I was like, not focusing on what was going on. And then I was like, oh, hang on, we've skipped a bit. And I kept having to go back. And I love an apocalyptic film. I mean, how can you make an apocalyptic film that is about creatures of unknown origin that make people take their own lives. How can you make that boring? I just don't, I don't get it. And somehow, do you know what? It really felt like they saw the success of Bird Box, which was a great film. And I felt like it was dark and emotional and gripping. And I think they looked at the success of Bird Box and went, oh, we need to make another Bird Box because people will definitely watch it. But they sort of scrambled together to make a story and didn't really put any thought or real feeling into it. And the worst thing was that I felt like they left it open at the end for another movie. And I'm just going to say, Netflix, if you're listening, don't bother. We don't need another movie. It's done. It's over with. We get it. Okay. You take your life if you see the creature. I, I Just no more. Overall, the film isn't horrendous, but it's also not entertaining. So I'm going to give it two stars. So that's two stars for Bird Box Barcelona. I'd I'd consider giving it an, a half a star if they changed the bloody name. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And that very quick film review brings us to our story this week. Now, Bird Box Barcelona centers around children and today's story also centres around freaky kids. And we are going to be deep diving into the Harris County haunting, which was not a haunting that I knew about. As always, the links to all the sources for this episode are in the description. So let's get into it. If you've never seen the 1999 psychological thriller movie, The Sixth Sense, I'm going to give you a brief one-sentence synopsis. So, spoiler alert. The nine-year-old boy sees dead people. Cold Seer, played by a young Haley Joel Osmond, tells Dr. Bruce Willis that he sees the ghosts of dead people wherever he goes. Some of these spirits are pretty harmless. Tired, sad, listless. Some don't even know they're dead, drifting through our mortal plane without realising that they no longer bear any resemblance to the living. Others are dramatically more violent. Chasing Cole, scaring him, attacking him in cupboards, just generally being pretty frightening... Although one could imagine that there is little else to do in the afterlife and giving someone a good scare may pass the time. Either way, the film had a resounding cultural impact. I have yet to forget, in particular, the sound and visual of the tent pegs in Cole's indoor tent of safety coming away one by one as he is accosted by the ghost of a young girl. I had to watch that bit through my fingers and it did cement one thing for me, and maybe culturally that kids are invariably a bit creepy. But even if you've never seen the film, there is also the fact that we have had countless stories on the podcast which seem to suggest that for some reason, children seem to be more in tune with the spiritual world and perhaps they have an ability that the adults around them have long forgotten. Ellerslie is a tiny town in Georgia in the United States of America. In the year 2020, it had a population with a grand total of 1,053 people. Our story takes us all the way back to 1989, and the Wyrick family have just moved to Ellerslie. Lisa, her husband Andy and their daughter Heidi were settling down into small-town life. Their home, like so many others in these stories, was a nondescript one-story building, an unassuming and peaceful setting that was perfect for the Wyrick family as a first-time home. They were beyond excited, and this modest three-bedroom ranch house with a spacious yard was the perfect place to settle down as a family. And it was abandoned. It seemed that the previous owner had walked off and left it, so there was no waiting around to move in. The area was quiet and serene and somewhere that they could potentially expand their family without worrying about crime. They were overjoyed at the prospect of watching little Heidi grow up here. Of course, as is the way with these stories, everything was just perfect. The Wyricks had worked hard to turn the house into a home. 
and one brisk and bright February day in 1989, little Heidi was happily playing in the living room when she heard a knock at the door. She toddled on down the hall to open the door, standing on her tiptoes to reach the handle. And there on the doorstep was a man. He was wearing a t-shirt covered in blood. As well as his shirt, his hand was also covered in blood and bloodied bandages. Heidi felt sad for the man, who had clearly hurt himself, so she thought the best thing to do was to tell her mom. Heidi calmly and plainly told her mother that there was a man at the door who was covered in blood and that he said his name was Khan. Lisa was, probably rightly, less calm. She thought, at worst, that someone was trying to kidnap her daughter and even if he wasn't, there was a bloodied man on her doorstep. But when she checked, the man had gone. She locked all the doors in the house, took a butcher's knife from the kitchen and called Andy to come home immediately. When Andy arrived home, he and Lisa searched their tiny neighbourhood for the man their daughter had described. Surely a man covered in blood would be pretty recognisable in a small town. But after hours of searching, they found no one. An odd, isolated incident, it would seem. There were no other children in the neighbourhood, which initially worried Lisa. She was concerned that Heidi would be lonely and have no one to play with. But Heidi didn't seem to mind. She would play with her toys and play out in the garden and seemed to be happy and content. It was a March afternoon and Heidi was playing in the garden. She was very busy that afternoon, as she had penciled in an important tea party for her and her dollies. She was blustering around the garden, laying down a blanket, getting the teapot warmed up, making sure the dollies were sat in an appropriate order. Sometimes they would fight, you see. When she became aware that she was being watched... She turned around and standing a few feet away from her was an old man. He was wearing a black suit and tie and a white shirt and had shiny black shoes and he was smiling at her. Hello, my name is Mr Gordy. I would very much like to join your tea party. Do you mind? Heidi didn't mind. She didn't mind at all. The man seemed friendly and he was an old man like a grandfather figure. Would you like to come and play on my swing? Of course Heidi wanted to go and play on his swing. But she knew that her mom would want to know where she was going. So she took off into the house to find her and ask permission. Mama, may I go please play on the swing with the man? As you can imagine, Lisa was immediately on high alert. What man? And why did he want to take her daughter to play on a swing? She searched the garden for the man and looked up and down the street. And then she took Heidi inside and locked the doors. Heidi, I know the man is friendly, but you can't wander off and play with strangers, okay? You shouldn't even talk to strangers. Lisa's mind wandered back to the bloodied man on the doorstep. What were the chances that two separate men would come and strike up a conversation with Heidi in this tiny, tiny place? It was odd. And as time went on, Lisa began to watch Heidi in the garden, like really watch her. Most parents will cast a cursory glance every few minutes and ensure that their child is still there and not injured. But as Lisa watched, she began to notice some strange behaviours. Heidi would chitter-chatter away in the garden. But she wasn't talking to her dolls or her toys. She would talk and look up as though listening to an answer and then she would talk again. 
and even more strange, sometimes she would stand in the garden with her hand raised, chatting away. And it looked for all the world like she was standing next to an invisible adult holding their hand. But that was absurd, surely. Lisa tried to be calm and casual about it with Heidi, keen not to startle her. And any time she would ask Heidi who she was talking to, Heidi would simply reply, Mr. Gordy. It became abundantly clear to Lisa that both Mr. Gordy and Khan did not in fact exist. Or did they? Heidi's story remained consistent. She would always be playing in the garden with Mr. Gordy and Lisa presumed that Mr. Gordy was an imaginary friend. She would hear Heidi talking quietly in her bedroom at night time and there would be no one in her room when she would check. When she would ask Heidi who she was talking to, she would say that Mr. Gordy would come to her room to wish her good night. In their lives, Mr. Gordy seemed to be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. When she was asked, Heidi said that Mr. Gordy lived in the sky. Fundamentally, Lisa and Andy saw no harm in Heidi having an imaginary friend. She was young and full of life and imagination, and she liked having someone to play with. But something was changing for Heidi. Mr. Gordy was a lovely and nice companion, and the memory of the bloodied man at the door had faded. But she frequently felt something in the house. She was too small to articulate to her parents what was happening, but there was a chill in the house. A nice cold feeling that would engulf her every so often when she was alone. In these moments, she would see her breath puff out in front of her, and she would stand, frozen. Sometimes she saw it, and sometimes she didn't. Sometimes she would catch a fleeting glimpse of it from the corner of her eye, and other times she would see it walk past the doorway. A dark shadow figure, human-shaped but unclear, and whoever or whatever it was frightened Heidi. Heidi started to tell Lisa that she was feeling sick to her stomach. She became hysterical and terrified upon seeing what she described as a dark, featureless male figure. This new spirit was not like Mr. Gordy, it was evil. It terrified Heidi and caused her to scream and cry like never before. Months and months had passed and Heidi continued to talk about Mr. Gordy. But now she slept with the light on, terrified of this dark shadow. During this time, Lisa's sister bought the house next door to the Wyrick family. When talking to her sister Joyce about Heidi's imaginary friend, Mr. Gordy, her sister was stunned. She had heard from the previous owner of the house, Catherine Ledford, that one of the house's former owners was a Mr. James S. Gordy. Through her sister, Lisa got in touch with Catherine and invited her to the home. Catherine confirmed that Mr. Gordy used to live next door to the Wyricks' house and had died in 1974. Catherine had no photos of Mr. Gordy but confirmed that he had grey hair, often wore suit and tie and shiny black shoes. But how do you have this conversation with a child? How do you ask her if this is the same Mr. Gordy that she was seeing every day? Lisa tentatively broached the subject with Heidi 
asking her if she knew that Mr. Gordy was dead. Heidi responded to her that Mr. Gordy didn't look dead and that he just looked like her mom or her dad. But she also asked if she could see Mr. Gordy's grave. Lisa reluctantly agreed, not knowing what else to do. And when she pulled up the car at the graveyard, Heidi immediately hopped out of the car and ran through the graveyard. She had never been to this graveyard before and she could not read. But she ran through the headstones in a definitive way with purpose and stopped at a gravestone. When Lisa eventually caught up with her, Heidi was standing in front of the grave of Mr. James S. Gordy. Catherine Ledford got in contact again and offered to come around and chat to Lisa and to bring with her a large photo album which documented her life in Ellerslie. She was showing the Wyrick family her photographs when Heidi pointed to one, an old yellowed picture of five people, and told her mother that one of the people in the picture was Khan, the mysterious bloodied man with the injured hand. Catherine was shocked. The photograph Heidi had pointed to was of her late uncle Lon, who had died in 1957 of cancer. An Ellerslie native, Lon had lost his hand in his early 20s in a cotton gin incident. For those who don't know what a cotton gin is, it is a kind of metal machine which is used to separate the fibres of cotton. It has lots of moving cylinders and parts, so it's not difficult to imagine how someone could easily trap their hands or fingers in it and have a pretty nasty accident. After the meeting with Catherine, Lisa was now convinced that her daughter was seeing dead people. What do you do as a parent? You could do what Tony Collette does in The Sixth Sense and take your son to see Bruce Willis, but Heidi didn't seem particularly bothered by the apparently benevolent spirit she was seeing. In fact, she loved chatting to Mr. Gordy and swinging on their swing set with him in the garden. And after her first encounter with the bloodied figure of Uncle Lon, she never saw him again. Life continued for the family, and Heidi continued to see and feel those who had passed on. At this point, the entities of the house only made themselves known to Heidi. Neither Lisa nor Andy had had any experiences that they knew of. Until one day, Lisa and her niece Kelly were in the living room arranging flowers for a family member's wedding, when they both saw, with their own eyes, and heard a chair slide out from under the dining table and then spin right around to face them. It was broad daylight. It wasn't the middle of the night. Whatever had the power to do this, Heidi was able to see it. This shadowy entity that made the room cold and made Heidi feel scared. Heidi was growing more and more terrified and she was struggling to sleep and she told her mom and dad that she wanted to leave the house. Lisa and Andy had quiet late night conversations about whether they needed to leave the house. What could they do? Could they sell the house? Could they afford to? Was Heidi mentally unwell or was the house truly haunted? Lisa awoke one night to Heidi's face inches from hers. She gasped in shock and sat up quickly. Mommy, my face hurts. Lisa turned on the lamp and blinked furiously as her eyes adjusted to the light. Heidi's face had three deep scratches on one cheek. 
My face is burning, Mommy. I can't sleep. Lisa shook Andy awake and in an instant they had bundled Heidi up and left the house. They did not return that night. But as is often the case in these stories, they returned the next day because they simply did not know what else to do. That night, Andy awoke with a burning pain in his side. He had never felt a pain quite like it and felt as though his ribs were on fire. He stumbled groggily to the bathroom and lifted his shirt and was met with the sight of three deep gashes on his ribs, exactly like what was on Heidi's face, and they looked almost like claw marks. A heavy atmosphere descended over the house and vultures seemed to be gathering in the trees outside, almost as if they too sensed a change in the air. Andy woke again the next night with claw marks down his back, down his legs, and again the next night. And the family knew that they needed to do something. The local librarian had given Lisa the information of noted parapsychologists. Deciding to take action, the Wyrick family contacted a noted parapsychologist called Dr. William Roll to help them investigate Heidi's paranormal experiences. Roll was an American psychologist and parapsychologist, known in particular for his reports on dramatic poltergeist phenomena. He often attributed these phenomena to unconscious psychokinesis in emotionally disturbed young people. Parapsychology is the study of alleged psychic phenomena, for example, telepathy, telekinesis, clairvoyance, etc., and other paranormal claims like near-death experiences. It is often dismissed by scientists as a pseudoscience, but Dr. Roll dedicated his whole academic life to this field. Born in Germany in 1926, Roll reported having out-of-body experiences in his childhood. He later attributed this to his shock at the death of his mother when he was a child. In his 20s, Roll emigrated to America with his father. There, he studied psychology, philosophy and sociology at UC Berkeley in California. His studies eventually led him to specialising in parapsychology, with a specific focus on poltergeists, ESP, mediumship and out-of-body experiences. Dr. Rold started with interviews to fully ascertain what the family had actually experienced and what they had experienced through Heidi. When Dr. Roll met Heidi, he decided that the best place to start was by testing her recall to determine what was grounded in reality and what was imagination. Dr. Roll established that there didn't seem to be any mental health issues present in the family members and he also established that it seemed that Heidi absolutely believed that the people she was seeing were real and full-bodied people. According to Dr. Roll, she had no concept of ghosts and she felt no fear of Mr. Gordy at all. He further tested her by lining up random photographs of similar-looking men and they had found a photograph of Mr. Gordy which they included. And Heidi correctly identified the photograph of Mr. Gordy despite never having seen a picture of him before. She chose the same photograph of Uncle Lon that she had picked out with Catherine Ledford. Dr. Roll was convinced that somehow Heidi was seeing something. But the only question left to answer was why. 
Dr. Rold set about finding out how and why Heidi was seeing and feeling these supernatural phenomena. He believed that there was something in the natural environment that was causing Heidi to see these entities, and he believed that these entities were potentially tied up with the land, like there was something in the earth or the environment that held on to these imprints of these people, and maybe Heidi had somehow been able to tap into them. He tracked unusual electromagnetic events in the house, and suggested that Heidi might actually just be hallucinating these events, kind of like a magnified version of infrasound. But that didn't explain how she was seeing these specific entities. Two men that had lived in the area? And Dr. Roll's visit did not stop the haunting. The family continued to move forward and welcomed a new baby into the house, a baby girl named Jordan. Heidi had started school and was making friends and was living an outwardly normal life. She eventually stopped seeing Mr. Gordy, but she didn't stop seeing spirits, and the sinister shadow figures never relented. She had seen the faceless man, and she continued to see him. As a teenager, she would see the faceless man often, even seeing him standing on the porch of her aunt's house next door, before it retreated through the wall and into the property. Heidi's best friend, Montine, was the only person she confided in, and Montine had experienced strange things in Heidi's house. Montine had heard banging, knocking, and furniture moving. But eventually, the local media got hold of the story. They heard about the girl who had seen the dead people since she was a toddler, and they were keen to explore the story further. The initial reporter, who ventured to the Wyrick house, pulled up in his car and stepped out, ready to snap some pictures of the front of the property. He would later go on to report that as he stepped closer to the house, he felt something terrible, like a change in the atmosphere, an instinctive feeling that there was something deeply wrong. As he raised his camera to snap a picture, he caught sight of a shadow in the window, a distinctive outline of what seemed to be a man, And he turned, he got back into the car, and he left. The feeling of evil that emanated from this shadow was palpable, even at a distance. Heidi was bullied mercilessly when word got out. Her peers laughed at her and she was a social pariah. Everyone in the area knew that the Wyrick house was supposed to be haunted and that Heidi was allegedly able to see dead people. Heidi hated the attention. One day, Lisa was home with her niece Kelly, poring over vacation photographs, when they heard voices from the hallway. The only other person home was little Jordan. And Jordan was sitting in the hallway talking to herself. Lisa casually asked her who she was talking to, and Jordan replied, Oh, I'm talking to the little girl. She isn't here anymore because she died in a car accident. But that wasn't all. Next door, Lisa's sister Joyce was home alone when she felt that tingling in her skin and her hair standing on end. And then she heard it. (laughs) The laughter of a little girl. The lights flickered and she turned slowly. She could have sworn that she saw the shadow of a small girl leaving the room. Heidi could instinctively tell whether a spirit had good intentions. 
so she wasn't particularly bothered by the little girl. She would see her moving through the house, but she really didn't take any notice of her. But Lisa was terrified of the spirits and terrified of what it meant that her daughter could see them. When the house was dead silent, Lisa would hear the growls of something otherworldly that she just couldn't explain. The family contacted Dr. Roll again, tired of living in fear. And Dr. Roll was particularly curious to speak to Heidi now that she was older and now that Jordan was apparently experiencing something too. The voices were being heard by the wider family and the haunting was spreading to beyond just Heidi. Having spoken to the family yet again, Dr. Roll believed that Heidi and Lisa were psychic, but he believed that this was a natural capacity of the human mind to receive information in another way other than our known five senses. What he didn't know was whether this was genetic or whether this was something that was naturally occurring in the environment. Dr. Roll was keen to establish whether this was genetic or environmental and he set off to the house in which Lisa grew up. And sure enough, there had been paranormal encounters in the family for generations. Lisa's mother was raised in Haunted Hollow in northern Georgia, along what is known as the Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears was the site of years of brutal bloodshed as the native Cherokees battled with the colonizers. Growing up, Lisa's mother would hear screams and cries coming from caves on their land for years and years and obviously there was never anybody there. And for a long time, these stories were just that. They were stories that were passed down and told over the years. But now the family were seeing them in a different light. Lisa's mother had experienced the paranormal too, more so when she was a child. And now Lisa, her sister Joyce, and Lisa's daughters Heidi and Jordan. Dr. Roll decided that it was time to bring in a psychic medium, although she was given strict rules. She was given no information about the house or the haunting, and she was not allowed to meet the family. She filmed all of her initial reactions to the family home. Her name was Amy Allen and her first reaction was that she felt as though she were walking into a wall of energy on the family property. When Amy was small, she had no concept that the people she would see were dead. She thought they were real people until she got older and realised that these people were not real and they did not always have good intentions. At the Wyrick house, Amy encountered an entity that she referred to as the caretaker, an older man who felt compelled to look after Heidi. She encountered a little girl who was a strong entity, so much so that Amy briefly believed that the spirit of the little girl was actually a living little girl. She encountered a spirit in the shadows, who she described as a faceless man, a man living in darkness. The feeling around this entity was negative and angry. Amy believed that the location was full of energy and that Lisa and Heidi were somehow drawing these entities in. It was a perfect storm. Lisa was not convinced. The growling that she heard at night time continued and she had grown to believe that this was something demonic. She asked a psychic from her church to visit who confirmed her worst fears there was something demonic in the house. They needed to know how to make this all stop. 
They were tired and they were permanently frightened. The Wyrick family turned to their church, who believed that the activity was demonic and that prayer was the way to get rid of it. Whatever your feelings are on religion, this is what the family turned to and for them, they went on to say that it brought them great comfort. The church rallied around them to help them in their time of need, but it didn't stop what was happening to them. The haunting never went away. And it would be great to finish this story and say that it stopped and Heidi and her family went on to live normal lives. I suppose in some degrees they did, because they had to. But Heidi's ability never ceased, and she would later say of it, I can sense when it's an evil presence or if it's a good presence. If I sense evil, you wouldn't believe the feelings you can get. I've literally been sick to my stomach. Most of the time, I've learned to keep a lot of it to myself, and I really don't even notice it. You get used to seeing things after a while. Every day, every day, I wish these things wouldn't have happened, because my life would be so much different. I wouldn't be known for something like this. So again, I'm presenting you guys with a story that doesn't really have a resolution. I apologise. I don't really. I'm sorry, not sorry. You know that kind of way? I love a story with a resolution. But also, I think with stories like this, sometimes it's just like, actually, no, there wasn't a cure and we didn't, you know, fix everything. We just had to learn to live with it. And whether you're a diehard sceptic, although I think we should all be sceptical, you know what I mean? Being a sceptic doesn't mean that you can't be kind of filled with wonderment at stories like this but whether you are critical or a diehard believer I think it's impossible not to feel really sorry for Heidi in this one because she's now 37 I think and she basically has just had to learn to live with this so whether you think it's she's seeing dead people or whether you think she has an underlying mental health condition or whether you think she was conditioned to think this way by her parents whatever you think she has to live with this and she now works in the medical field and she kind of says well I just I just don't talk to people about it anymore because I've learned not to so whatever is going on for her like that's shit (laughs) and this story seems to hit all the creepy kid boxes um I don't know who suggested this story I think it was suggested in a question box that I put up on Instagram I hadn't heard of it so thank you if you were the person that suggested this story but it just ticked all the boxes you've got this creepy kid who has an imaginary friend she's like oh there's a bloody man at the door and then oh it's just I I, who am I talking to in the garden oh that's that's my friend oh he's an old man that wants me to come and play on his swings no wonder the parents were like holy shit our kid's about to get abducted not only that, but then you go, okay, it's just an imaginary friend. We'll we'll accept that. And then you find out that the previous owner was a man called Mr. Gordy, who does look like this man that your daughter has been describing. Fuck's sake. And I think it's also important to point out that these people, so Lisa and Andy, were like in their early 20s when this happened. I think Andy said in the documentary that he was 21 when when they moved into that house. So they they're young. Like they're just kids themselves, basically. And they're going through this crazy time where their daughter is like, I've got an imaginary friend. Oh, and guess what? He might also be a ghost. The other thing that hits that creepy kid box is it seems like this is something that has come down the family line. So that the suggestion is that the women in the family have some sort of ability because Lisa's mother had experiences. Then Lisa, Joyce heard the little girl 
giggling and caught sight of her. And then you have Heidi and Jordan. And what I find really interesting about this story is that they didn't turn to the church straight away. So it seems as though they were religious people. Um, I, I'm not a religious person and I understand why religious people would turn to the church in moments like this. But it seems that they, that Lisa at least, went to the library and did some research about psychologists and parapsychologists. And then she was given the information for Dr. Roll. And he, from from what I can gather, he is or was a really well-educated man and he just ended up being interested in parapsychology. But in the sense that most paranormal encounters can be explained through the human mind. But then I also found that part of the story really frustrating and sometimes I think this is the this is the hole that skeptics fall into or the trap that they fall into. So Dr. Roll comes along and he's like, hey, we got to look into this a little bit further. So he's like, yes, this child clearly doesn't doesn't understand what a ghost is. She thinks these people are real people that she is talking to and communicating with. And then he puts on his little white lab coat, does his tests around the house and he says, well, in reality, she's hallucinating because there is a, like a higher electromagnetic field around the house, particularly in her bedroom. So she's hallucinating and it's something to be afraid of. I'll see you later. Yes, fundamentally, these things can happen. We know this. We know that infrasound is a thing. We know that the environment can impact people and impact how they feel and their mood. The environment can cause people to hallucinate. You know, like one of the leading causes of hauntings is carbon monoxide poisoning. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that these things can happen, but it doesn't explain how she's hallucinating two men who are directly linked to the property. And in the documentary, the family kind of say the same thing. They were like, we really respected Dr. Roll. He's obviously a very intelligent man. You know, he's a scientist. He knew what he was talking about. But it doesn't explain how she's having these particular hallucinations. And I I have to say, I agree. It frustrated me to see this man saying, yes, all of these things are happening, but it's a a hallucination. We're going to close up this case now and, and move on because it doesn't actually explain the intricacies of what is happening for this family. And also it doesn't really help them. It doesn't stop things. It doesn't change things. And is it also a possibility that this was like a perfect storm that Heidi and her mother Lisa had these abilities that occur naturally in the brain that we just don't really understand through science yet, that they had the abilities to perceive things other than through their five senses and the land had crazy energy too and therefore they were able to sense spirits that were connected to the land. Like it's a pretty crazy story. I also think it's really important to uh, not dismiss the possibility that Heidi somehow had this information, whether somebody was talking about this information in front of her, discussing it in front of her, and she therefore created this narrative. Or equally, she was talking about a nice old man that she was seeing and the family then maybe drew conclusions from ambiguous information she had given you know, like, you know, when people talk about psychics and they're like, oh, is there somebody with S here? And somebody in the crowd is like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. Like, is it possible that Heidi was just being super imaginative and saying there was a man at the door and he was covered in blood and he had a bandage on his hand and maybe his name is Khan or whatever she said. And then the family prescribe meaning to that when they find out information later. I don't know. I don't know. And there is also the reality that we as human beings, we pass down 
lots of things through families to our children. Children are inevitably impacted by parents' behaviours, by things that their parents believe, by parents' mental illnesses even. So is it possible that that belief in the paranormal or that belief that the women in the family have the ability to perceive the paranormal was just passed down and solidified through the generations, even if they didn't have the words to describe it in that way? Either way, whether you come down on the paranormal belief or you come down on the sceptical, critical belief, there has to have been a perfect storm for these events to take place in the way that the family believed they took place. So from the paranormal aspect, was there like a perfect storm of Lisa and Heidi having these paranormal abilities and they just happen to move into a house where there's lots of energy, therefore these entities are able to show themselves to Heidi in particular? Is that what happened? Or from the sceptical standpoint, is it possible that generationally this belief that the women in the family could see paranormal things or they had a sixth sense to do with the paranormal was passed down and solidified and therefore when it got to Heidi and she was saying that she was dealing with this imaginary friend, Lisa and Andy started to put two and two together and come to conclusions that reinforced that belief. I'm not entirely sure where I stand on this one, to be perfectly frank. But either way, I think it's an incredibly interesting story. And what it reinforced for me is that regardless of what you believe about the paranormal, so whether you think the paranormal is real, as real as you and I, or whether you think actually there's no such thing as the paranormal, it is just humans having experiences, whatever you believe, it is so important to recognise it and study it and talk about it because if this is real paranormal shit and these people have this ability it it deserves to be studied if this is not real paranormal shit and these people believe they have these abilities then sociologically and psychologically it's really important to study too and that's my hot take for today Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to my wonderful friend Heidi, not the Heidi of this story, for all of her research on this particular episode. I also need to say I've been very lax on emails recently. I've been really bad at communicating with people. And one of uh, one of the Real Life Ghost Stories listeners, Connor, has written a book and he contacted me about it like ages and ages ago. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll put it up on Instagram, whatever you want me to do. And I and I just didn't. And uh, I've finally gotten around to it. And just if you're interested, the book is called Silent Secrets Spoken. And it is available on Amazon. It's written by C.B. Lewis. And it is a story of a parapsychologist who does a call out for paranormal encounters and stories. And he collates these the four kind of most noteworthy stories into this book so you get the four stories but you also get the point of view of the parapsychologist in this particular book so I just said I'd give a little shout out and the link to purchase it on Amazon will be in the description of this episode I don't normally do this but I I, I, do you know what I I feel like Connor has been very patient (laughs) with me and I appreciate the patience 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your own paranormal experience, you can do so by emailing it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and if you are desperate for some extra content you can subscribe to the Patreon that is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note I shall see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 